Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Co-op. Thank you for tuning in for yet another good episode. And we are always uh, just tickled slap to death to have a good guest on. And, and we are so fortunate that we have not uh, yet dropped in quality of the uh, of the guests that we've had included and are, are able to talk about it. It's so interesting for us as we've done this podcast to know that there are so many different things that we can talk about uh, as it relates to industrial hemp, particularly, you know, the markets. I mean, we could be talking about graphene one day or we could be talking about building products or we could be talking about uh, renewable energy, all of that loaded up and rolled together, which really makes things interesting but consistently what we always are concerned about and talking about is um farming and growing and sticking with our commitment to uh regenerative ag and sustainable development as we build wealth for our members so today is no exception for that and we've got a we've got a guru uh whether he wants to be a guru or not uh you're a guru now steve okay so um uh, Steve uh, Groff is is on with us uh, from his uh, live from his location at Cedar Meadow Farm, uh, not too far from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I did say Lancaster, right? Didn't I? You say? did, Nick. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. Well, our buddy Eric Herlock cured me of that real quick. Whenever well, he Eric, first Eric's met. a good guy, and uh, and he certainly knows how to uh, <laughs> help educate people, even on how to say Lancaster. How about that? How about that? Pretty good for Mississippi boy. Well, yeah. look, Steve, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Steve is um, one of the leading um, voices, and I'm going to call you an expert um, in the field, if that's not too punny, uh, mm-hmm. as it relates to um, a regenerative agriculture and and really spending time on it and, and really understanding what that means. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. So Steve, good morning to you, and hello, and thanks for joining us. Well, hey, happy sunny morning here. The sun's out, a lovely day, and we we're going to plant hemp either today or tomorrow, so it's a great time here to talk about this, and I uh, appreciate this opportunity, Nick. A little bit of my history and background. I'm a third-generation farmer on this farm, uh, and my son is also farming here, and uh, him and his wife just had a little son, so we might have five generations here wow. soon uh in in our farm so so that's that's pretty cool and i'm i'm really uh happy to be uh you know part of that so you know people ask me you know well, when did you start this whole regenerative agriculture and and i got to get back to 1982. Uh, we have rolling hills here and we had some erosion and ditches that we couldn't cross with our equipment to harvest our corn hmm. and we had to close the ditches before we harvested our corn and you know, my thought right then was that was just kind of a nuisance. We had to do it. And I had no uh, passion or even awareness of soil health. I wasn't even thinking I was hurting anything downstream by letting my soil and nutrients leave the farm. Oh, you know, yeah. back back in those days, that's just the way we farmed. And But that's what got me going. And I remember one of my epiphany moments was three years later in that field that we no-till. We started no-tilling in 1982 that the, uh, the soil was starting to get more mellow. And I, I had assumed I was gonna have to plow every four or five years to you know, break up the hard ground. I didn't know that some of the principles that we're very familiar with now and no-till and use of cover crops and, and everything that actually the soil can become 
more mellow without tillage. So that was a big moment. And that caused me then to really dig in deep, if you will, to you know, how to do this better. And then I started using uh, cover crops in the, more intentionally in the mid-90s. I had used cover crops sporadically over the years, but in the mid-90s, I started using cover crops and uh, saw the value of it. And I was one of my first times in speaking was in uh, 1995, and um, a professor from University of Maryland, Dr. Ray Weil, uh, was speaking at this event. I'd never met him before. But I had mentioned in my talk, I had asked the question in my talk, do cover crops pay? And it was a legitimate question to me. Sure. Ironic because people even today ask that question. It's one of the most popular questions. But I asked that question in 1995. Dr. Wild come up to me afterwards and said, hey, you want to do some research in your farm? I'm asking the same question. That led to 12 years of continuous research, continuous plots where we had replicated four times in two different fields. And in 1999, we had a dry year, a very dry year. And on the fields that had cover crops, we yielded 28 bushel more of corn on that dry year. Wow. Basically, I've never asked that question since. Uh, do cover crops pay? Because, oh, they might not pay every year, uh, but they do pay overall. And I always tell people, look at it as a 10-year commitment before you make you know, any decisions on the, the, how cover crops can pay. Then, uh, then uh, a part of my story is uh, Dr. Wild had another project that involved radishes. And out of that came the tillage radish that a lot of people have heard about. That started on my farm here. And I built a business around that. I'm no longer in the cover crop seed business anymore. But I got to pause here since we're talking about hemp. Is in 1999 is when my hemp story starts. There was a meeting here locally on the potential of using hemp or industrial hemp, as we called it, as an alternative crop. Uh, because the price of soybeans and corn was low. And, you know, what else can we do as farmers? And the Penn State University was interested. Pennsylvania Farm Bureau was interested. I went to that meeting. And by the way, still have that brochure, which I'm glad I kept. Um, <laughs> and we actually did some some fiber crop testing of what was legal at the time, like canaf and flax and uh, sun hemp, which later became a pretty prevalent cover crop. But the legislature was not ready, not near ready to approve industrial hemp. Um, and in here in Pennsylvania in 19, or excuse me, in 2015, there was another effort to go through, but it didn't pass, again, ahead of our time. And, uh, and I had kind of been on the sidelines with hemp, just, you know, monitoring it. But in, uh, in 2017, there's someone came here and visited me from Colorado. It was kind of a friend of a friend. And he said, I want you to grow CBD hemp for me once it becomes legal. And I said, what? What's that? And so he explained it. And then he gave me he gave me a, like, a, a capsule. He goes, here's some try. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. What, what are you giving me here? You know? And uh, so he said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, Okay. Well, then uh, that's what led me to being aware of CBD. Well, if you know anything about 2018, when hemp was legalized nationally, CBD was the poster child of hemp. And sure. we were going to make thousands and thousands of dollars profit in every acre. And I dove in. I dove right in. 
And uh, boy, that year we had field days here at my farm. We had over 300 people show up. Everyone paid $99 to come. I mean, it was all but euphoric. And uh, if you know anything about CBD, it tanked the end of that year. And then I started my own brand, which I have today, Cedarmeadow.farm. Check it out, Cedarmeadow.farm, where I'm doing the retail that. But as you, uh, as as we've kind of, I guess we were talking before we went on here, or we mentioned Eric Kerlock. Uh, with the with the language to farming podcast, you know he's he and others have been saying you know uh, CBD is probably a flash in the pan. We got to be looking at fiber and grain, and so that's where I'm at now. So last year we put out some fiber. I actually did the first year or two to test it in 2019. Uh, I don't think I did any in 2020, but 2021 I put out some fiber. I actually did a hemp maze. Like a corn maze? Really? Did that, yeah. It was really a lot of fun. I mean, people just couldn't believe it. Of course, the first question everybody asked was, is it marijuana? Right. Uh, Am I going to get high at the end yes, of the maze, Steve? Exactly. <laughs> we, we, we have to, uh, you know, we, we, have, we have to uh, explain that. I actually was kind of tempted. We had, a, we had a bunch of these big bales in the center uh, that people could get up and they could take pictures of the maze. I thought uh, of selling T-shirts there. I got high at Cedar Meadow Farm, <laughs> but I thought that's probably not not, not, the, not the messaging we need. Not, not the not. messaging that I wanted to promote. So, hey, we had a lot of fun with that, um, and then I got started getting involved and connected with those in fiber. But I got to tell you, Nick, I think the grain side is uh, is going to be really important, especially here in our area where there's lots of opportunities for animal feed. It's not legal yet, but I'm pretty sure it will be soon. At least the people I'm talking to that are in the space feel that it will be. So I really think grain will, will be will be, be will have a higher growth curve uh, in usage once it's legal, simply because we pretty much have the machinery to harvest it. Uh, we're, we we got to get a drying mechanism uh, figured out because corn and soybean dryers just won't work. The, the holes are too, too large. The hemp seeds will fall through. Okay. But I, I know we can solve that problem. And um, and then just, you know, blending it in grain. I, I look at it, I think that, you know, like a salt and a pepper type approach. I think that's going to happen. The fiber part of it is probably a little more, um, you know, there's a little more infrastructure needs to be built. It's a lot higher, sure. higher sure. cost to get involved. So I guess I'll just, that's my long-winded introduction, Nick. Uh, uh, so, so here I am. I'm still growing some CBD. We're growing grain. We're growing fiber. Uh, this year. So uh, I'm in the, the hemp space as much as a farmer can be. That's awesome. And it, and it dovetail real, dovetails real well um, uh, as, as we re- talk about conversations about regenerative ag. Yeah. So, you know, some of that fits back into, we want to make sure um, before we get going that we, that we're able to um, talk uh, uh, more on your on your uh, website so that people know mm-hmm. how to how to connect to you. you've got a ton of great information there so if somebody didn't get that yet we'll put it in the show notes on the end so everybody can see it is that cedar meadow cedar like the tree meadow like what you want to lay down in okay cedar meadow dot farm that's a real ending to a real um uh, a real website if you haven't yeah. been able to do that before at cedar meadow dot farm and I have purchased and am in the process of reading uh, your book, uh, The Future Proof Farm, uh, and how great that is, particularly for non-ag uh, background people like me, right? I mean, it's really it's really helpful to kind of understand part of that. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about about regenerative agriculture, and that's a term that we've adopted. It's a thing that we believe in, uh, as long as we understand what that means. So uh, we have talked about before. What is the what is regenerative ag? Would be one question. Uh, the second would be how does it compare to uh, organic, and the third would be maybe um, how do you know that you are practicing regenerative ag practices says who who says i'm you know who says i'm doing regenerative ag are those three fair questions for us oh that's a book right there nick you just, <laughs> you just gave me the topics for a whole book but let's try to keep it down to a couple minutes all right let's do it. you know what is regenerative agriculture well there typically is uh there's several basic foundational principles and one of them is uh, I'll just put it this way, no or very little soil disturbance is one principle. Keeping the soil covered is another principle. And then kind of inherently going along with that is keeping something alive in the soil, whether it's your cash crop or a cover crop, you know, year round. Um, that's probably the top three. Um, diversity might even be one of the most important ones, though. I, I look at diversity and having a diverse crop rotation, diverse cover crops. That's like the secret sauce to get these, uh, you, you hear these, these farmers and these people, the regenerative ag uh, champions, I'll say, uh, they would all, they all have a common denominator for sure of diversity. And I think that's the secret sauce of regenerative agriculture. The fifth one is incorporation of animals. And not everybody can do that. Um, you know, for instance, I don't, um, in a very, very, very small way, we, we have a, we have a, uh, 10 sheep here. We're running around the farm. Uh, but that's, you know, my 200 acres, that's nothing, but, uh, incorporating animals is, is the ideal way to go if you can do that. But basically it comes down, we're trying to mimic nature as much as possible. Uh, you asked about how it's different from organic, yeah. you know, organic, uh, approaches the growing system, uh, more from kind of a, a little bit more of a set of, I'll, I'll say rules, if you will, that uh, you have to abide by if you want the certification. And I want to say too, before I go any further, that organic agriculture is a is a good way to farm. Uh, and, and they would argue, and it's arguable, it's farming like nature as well, or mimicking nature as well. The biggest difference is organic agriculture uses, uh, in, in the context of the organic agriculture as a whole, uses a huge amount of tillage. Uh, and tillage is not, there's, there's a few benefits from tillage, but not many. Um, tillage uh, subjects the soil to erosion. As you can imagine, it, it kills and destroys earthworm habitat. Uh, it just, it destroys the, the, basically the, the ecosystem of the soil itself, um, you just don't see tillage in nature. Um, so, so that's a that's kind of a weakness, we'll say, in that um, mm -hmm. that paradigm. Um, and that's one of the biggest things that regenerative agriculture is strongly focused on: no tillage or very, very little tillage. Now, I'm not going to, you know, you know, I probably offend anybody. I, I usually say sometimes when I'm speaking, I'm probably going to offend everybody here. <laughs> but we all need to be challenged. And there is no perfect system unless we all go out and forage for berries and nuts. And that ain't happening in our society. Mm. So, you know, how can we grow food in the least environmentally destructive manner 
in a way that grows healthy and nutritious food. Uh, and then bottom line is that the farmer can make the bottom line. Um, so so it, it, it's, it's complex. There is no perfect way to grow food uh, unless you're going to live in the wild. And, and that's not an option uh, right now. So I see regenerative agriculture as kind of the new poster child for the soil health movement. I think it is very much challenging the organic paradigm in a good way because, you know, I'm seeing the organic farmers step up uh, and this, trying to be pragmatic here, Nick, the organic farmers are stepping up by saying, you know what, we got to reduce some of our tillage. And even by diversity, sometimes, you know, the, the, the diversity is not there in organic farm. And on the flip side, and I'm going to, again, pick on everybody here. Sure. A lot of the regenerative farmers are coming from the no-till cover crop movement. And and for, the, for those guys, we're like, hey, you got to reduce your fertility you, or your, your fertilizer inputs. You got to reduce your herbicides, your pesticides. So that's, that's, again, the weakness on that side of the coin, if you want to call it that. And so, you know, I'm trying to challenge everybody, including myself. Now, you know, some people say, well, is no-till organic, you know, the holy grail. And, well, it, it may be, but, you know, I look at things a little bit even deeper in that because that is difficult to achieve. There are some farmers making headway in that. It can work in certain cropping systems, but certainly haven't figured that out in all cropping systems. Mm. Uh, so that being said, uh, I guess the final thing was, you know, you know who determines what, uh, regenerative agriculture is. And right. when I look at it, you can listen to different folks. Uh, there are starting to be some regenerative agriculture certification programs out there. But for me personally, re I am defining it myself. Uh, this is what I do. And then the my consumer can then decide, or my customer can decide, is that something that they can appreciate or support? So like on my website, Cedameadow.farm uh, with hemp. I lay it out there. This is what I do. I compare it to organic. I compare it to regenerative organic. I compare right. it to conventional. And then there's Cedar Meadow Farm. So am I? Am I perfect? Am I idealistic? No. But this is where I define it, and it's I lay it out there, and and I'm very honest about it, and uh, and I'm going to be learning. I, I I'm going to be improving. There's Different things that I rank right now, hopefully in my form, will improve over the next years ahead. So I don't want to disparage any long as they're headed to this whole soil health. And then I'm going to say nutritional density. Nutritional density is kind of like the end result of the food we grow. And again, the, the regenerative agriculture paradigm is strong on that. What is the end result? Because if we have to have, if the level of protein in soybeans or corn or, or the level of nutrients in my vegetables, if that bar is raised, if that standard is raised to a point that someday you will get premiums or that's the only way you'll be able to sell your crop, mm -hmm. you're going to have to use less tillage. You're going to have to use cover crops. You're going to have to have diversity to make that happen. And so as I look in the future, uh, let's, let's measure the actual results of the food and fiber we produce. And this is, this is included in hemp. 
uh, whether it be CBD oil, whether it be the grain, whether it be the fiber, all of those things I think are are important. And um, so that's my uh, my basic principles in that. Uh, Nick, sure. did, did I leave anything out? No, no, no. I mean, you know what's what's what what, what I'm hearing is is and what I, it seems like is kind of obviously hemp's our thing, but it also fits into a greater thing. Yep. It's it's kind of like um, determining whenever they first started to do the Oscars. <laughs> so there's a group that gets together and says, you know what? Yeah, we ought to figure this out. You know, Douglas Fairbank Sr. and Mary Pickford and all these old, you know, uh, um, silent movie stars, as the story goes, they all got around dinner one night and said, we ought to do something and give ourselves an award for who's the yeah. best. Well, who get to decide what that means? Who gets to decide what is the Academy? What is not? Who gets best picture? How do you add another? You know, yeah. it's because we say. And and so and maybe that's a silly analogy, but but it kind of seems to me in this whole kind of regenerative um, uh, organic component piece that ever, that mm. hopefully first off, people understand the value in what is trying to be accomplished of saving the soul, doing mm. things in the right way, mm. a way that makes sense just for a myriad of different purposes, just practical, even if you're not an environmentalist by any shape. You still ought to be paying attention to what we're doing as, as it relates to regenerative ag, just from a practical standpoint. And I'm preaching now instead of telling. OK, but but so how does that look? What does that look like? How do we figure out whether we add another category for an Oscar or not? Which way do we do it? How does all that? Yeah, it may get a little, you know, uh, we may go back and forth and do a little ping pong back and forth until we get to the answer. But the question is, are there like minded enough people? who all understand we do want to get there and 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 in the interim until we whoever we is decides that this is kind of the thing to put the the good housekeeping seal of approval on there are folks like you Steve that are saying okay cool I'm about the dialogue I haven't made up my mind on every doggone thing or the way it absolutely ought to be this way but until then this is the way I'm going to do it yeah. And and this is the way we're going to do it around here. And if you like the things that you see and hear, then get on board, cousin, and let's get with it. So yep. maybe that was more preaching than questioning. But I mean, well, that I think just it's seems a, to be I think it's where it's going. I think it's a good analogy. And, because you know, if you look at the history of regenerative agriculture uh, movement, it is, and this is a great pun intended, it is a grassroots movement, uh, indeed, because... You, we, we haven't, this hasn't been led by the USDA. It hasn't been led by the big agriculture companies. It hasn't been led by John Deere. Uh, they're just kind of following along almost begrudgingly, it feels like at a time, at some times. But it's been led by the farmers and, and by some university people and other educators, a few of them out there that are, that are really getting it. They see the future. And, uh, and I am convinced that's why my book, The Future Proof Farming, it's it's it is a nice read. It's a very, very um, conversational read right. um, for both farmers and for non-farmers to just say, hey, this is what's going on. This is where I see the future. It is my perspective. And by the way, for you farmers out there, this is not how to farm. I don't say that you plant 38 pounds of cereal rye on September the 18th for your farm. I don't that's not what this book is for. This book is big picture thinking. And basically, if you don't pay attention to this stuff, you may become obsolete quicker than you expect. 
And, uh, you know, I just heard a saying here recently that typically in business, we used to think that the big eat the small. Now it's the quick eat the slow. And that's the that's the nature that that's the time yeah. we're living in. And with social media and all that, social media being a blessing and a curse, but it's still it is a it's a tool out there that consumers now can know more about the way food is grown than ever before. I try to use that as an advantage because I can get my message out directly to consumers. And then, like like we said before, Nick, I, I in a way, am kind of saying, well, here's my definition of regenerative agriculture. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of certifications because they have to change. Because in 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 the context of regenerative agriculture of anybody's farm, when you start down this journey, the rules of the game change. It, even if I would buy uh, a farm in my community here that has not been under these practices, I would have to farm it differently the first several years than I actually do my own land that has been under these methods for decades now. And, and I've done that. I picked up some rented ground. And frankly, I was surprised, caught off guard by how much fertilizer I really needed on some of that new ground. So I'm just using that as a personal example. The rules of the game change the longer it's being played. When you shoot a duck, you have to lead it. And that's what I'm talking about here. Now, you got to know how to lead. You got to know how to get these things down. And now I'm talking about the nitty gritty of it. Mm -hmm. But in the context of the macro picture here, the 30,000 foot level, where is regenerative agriculture headed? Well, the fact that major corporations now are, are looking at this, they're asking the same questions. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm going to have an interview here next week with a major uh, company trying to figure out where is regenerative agriculture going and where should they be? Because we're at the point now, there's enough momentum uh, that it's a thing. And, uh, you know, even in a hemp space here with the fiber industry, uh, you know, the, the big players that will be interested in that. Obviously, it's it's uh, it's you could you could say that hemp is kind of a poster child child for all things natural. Everybody knows that hemp is a good, we'll call it planet friendly plant. If you want to use yeah, those terminology, right, right. and how do we leverage that? What really irks me uh, is where people say, "Oh yeah, hemp can like sequester the most CO two of any plant out there," which is debatable because I think corn would give a good run for its money. Uh, but that being said, hemp is so good for this and putting carbon in the ground and everything. And then they plow everything up and they till it three times and they basically just ruined everything that hemp plant gave. And so yeah. that to me is that's what I'm all about to say, hey, guys, no, 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 don't do that. Let's take advantage of this plant and let's use it right. Let's try to mimic nature as much as possible by not tilling the soil, using cover crops. And, you know, I'm doing it. I'm doing it here. Is it challenging? Yes. Do I have failures already? I have. Uh, but, you know, I'm the, I'm the one willing to take those chances, to hopefully yeah. calculated chances, uh, to push the envelope. Um, because here's a quick example. <clears throat> in, in CBD hemp, I tried to grow direct seeded, you know, to save some costs. Transplants are high. Well, there's no CBD genetics out there that have ever been actually grown in the field. It's all been grown in greenhouses. So the, the genetics aren't good at all for direct seeding. But when you plant a fiber 
type or a grain type, that comes up pretty well in the fields because the genetic history of that has been direct seeded. So that gives me hope on the CBD side that we can just we we just need to breed in early emergence and uh, and uh, and and those sort of things. So those are the things that we need to do. We also, in the context of regenerative agriculture, I'll just say that a lot of the seeds and corn, soybeans, cotton, those main crops are bred in conventional settings. And we now need to breed our genetics to regenerative situations. And and all this stuff, you know, is is, is a massive undertaking. But I'm it's gonna happen because that's the direction we're going. Um, so uh, and, you know, just a quick example of wheat. You know, wheat no longer has the deep rooting capacity that it used to have. When you plant a wheat that is, you know, 100-year-old genetics, it's going to have deeper roots because that's what it was genetically selected because that's what grew the best, the ones that have the yeah. deeper roots. Well, now, you, you, you know, the last 40, 50 years, they put tons and tons of fertilizer on. The plant doesn't need to have any roots. And now, then, then now we run in. When it gets dry, the plant withers and dies. So yeah, it can be a high yielder, but things have to be just right for it. So it's just some examples that this whole regenerative agriculture—it's going to take time to really fine tune it. And actually, it's never ending. That's that's what we like about being a farmer. It's it's never ending the quest to be better. So Absolutely. I guess I got the preaching there now too. Nick. No, no. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Yeah. You just suffered through mine a minute ago, so don't you know? Yeah. Don't, no, no problem with that. Well, that's what's great about this whole part of this industry that I think is the opportunity for that, too, is that when you can really connect with people who are just trying to do the right thing, people who are trying to make a living, people who are trying to be able to move things forward and not just having kumbaya moments all day long, you know, but are really talking about, hey, look, let's get bored on this. It's great to connect to folks like that. And so we have done that yet again today at the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest that we have here on our podcast with Steve Groff um, with Cedar Matter Farm. So let me just encourage anybody and everybody to go get this book. Um, uh, you can get it right there on Steve's uh, page there at cedarmeadow.farm. Uh, you can find it and some other good merch and some other stuff that's there as well. Some of it's CBD products, but um, th th there's a lot of really great information there to really open your eyes up maybe and help you kind of understand at least the parameters that we're talking about in the dialogue of what it means to be uh, really taking care of, of um, our mother earth and our soil and other uh, for his book, particularly the future proof farm. So I'd highly recommend it. Um, uh, I'm not through with it. I'm in the middle of it, but um, um, uh, I'm, it's trending in a great way. How about that? So, Steve, man, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your willingness to uh, step out there and try to do something. And I appreciate very much your path about how you got there and and uh, uh, how you were continuing to get there with the full understanding, hey, look, we ain't figured this whole thing out yet, okay? Yeah. We're learning every day. So that yeah. seems to be the right attitude. Well, thank you, Nick. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's also an honor uh, because I, I just enjoy so much sharing my passion with those who, who wanna hear in the space. So um, I think there's a bright future ahead in agriculture. I know we have headwinds, but uh, you know, people have to eat, people have to be clothed. Um, and, you know, hemp is certainly a, a product that needs to be, we need to refigure it out. It used to be, I think that's the benefit we have with hemp. We, everybody knows that it, we can grow it. 
we can use it. We just have to get it reestablished. So it's exciting. Uh, it's an exciting part of agriculture to be in. Terrific. Well, look, if uh, anyone listening would like to know more about our National Hemp Growers Cooperative, just go back to our website at nationalhempcoop.us. Uh, you can learn all about that and see, and uh, download and, and attach to um, some of our previous podcast episodes. And you can learn about our field day that we are doing uh, June 6th and 7th in the Mississippi Delta in conjunction with Alcorn State University and also co-hosted by the Global Hemp Association, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable and the U.S. Hemp Building Association, <clears throat> just as of today, that will be a part of, of what we are doing for this field day. It's going to be a great day and, and you can learn more about that. Steve, thank you so much for what you do. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.